Chapter 12a of Bible Defense of Slavery by Josiah Priest. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 12. That the Scriptures have abolished Negro slavery and disallowed of the principle itself is contended by abolitionists who boldly aver that they do not, in any case or instance, justify it but everywhere condemn and reprobate the practice, as well as the principle. But whether this is true, the reader has already seen, if he has read the preceding pages with common attention. But, as to the scriptures having abolished negro slavery, we inquire where the passage or portions of that book can be found, which have done this and which of the prophets kings patriarchs judges or apostles have thus determined this matter as to information of this description says an abolitionist we are able at once to gratify the inquirer showing the place chapter and verse and press them upon the reader's consideration as they are extremely expressive and explicit flowing from the pen of inspiration in tones of thunder, condemning the awful sin of negro slavery. See Isaiah chapter 58, verses 6 and 7, as follows. Is not this the fast that I have chosen, namely, to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, and to let the oppressed go free, and that they break every yoke, is it not to deal thy bread to the hungry, and that thou bring the poor that are cast out to thy house? When thou seest the naked, cover him, and that thou hide not thyself from thine own flesh? These passages of holy writ are, indeed, very plain, and, to the careless reader, seem to make an end of the matter inasmuch as they require that every yoke should be broken, the heavy burdens taken off, and the oppressed set free. But, dear reader, do not become vexed when we affirm that although the passages above cited are very plain in their mode of expression, yet they do not, in any sense of the word, apply to the case in hand, or to the subject of negro slavery, as practiced in the time of Isaiah, or any other age. We affirm this on account of three good and sufficient reasons, as follows. First, consistency among the writers of the Holy Scriptures, who were inspired by the immutable God on the same subjects, forbids the belief that they should clash. If Moses by so many direct statements as are found in Leviticus chapter 25, verses 44 through 46, allowed the Hebrews to enslave the Canaanites and other Negro tribes. Are we to suppose that Isaiah, under the same inspiration and law that Moses was, would contradict this? This trait of Hebrew national custom, namely, that the enslaving of blacks had obtained from the days of Moses till the time of Isaiah a lapse of full nine hundred years, and by the authority of the law, without reproof or restraint, 
as we have shown. Is it to be supposed that Isaiah would disregard all this, and deliberately write a new code on this subject, in exact competition with the very law to which he himself subscribed, and by which he, as well as every other Hebrew, was then governed? Had not Isaiah read a thousand times what Moses had said in Exodus chapter 23, verse 32, respecting the Canaanites, namely, that the Hebrews, when they should come to possess the country of Canaan, were to make no covenants of amity or peace with the inhabitants, but were utterly to despise, ruin, and destroy them. Had he not read the same thing in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 2, which directed the twelve tribes to smite and utterly destroy those nations, making no compacts with them at all? The passage in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 2, reads as follows, And when the Lord thy God shall deliver them, the Canaanites, before thee, thou shalt smite them and utterly destroy them. Thou shalt make no covenant with them, nor show mercy unto them. Is it likely, therefore, that the Holy Ghost would contradict, by the pen of Isaiah, that which he had directed to be written in the law of Moses, and at a time, too, when the law was the ultimo of legislation to all the tribes of the Jews, and governed the prophets as well as the people? Is it likely, under circumstances of this description, that Isaiah would say to the subjects of his charge, Let the Canaanite slaves go free, take every burden from their backs, and break every yoke from their necks, and that will be the fast which will please the Lord. Can the reader fail to feel the force of this first reason? Second, the absolute silence of the New Testament in not condemning the practice of enslaving the Negro race, and further, its absolute recognition of the practice, and that favorably agreeing both with the curse of Noah and the law of Moses on this subject. The favorable recognitions of the New Testament on this matter are found in the writings of St. Paul, who understood the whole subject as well as any other writer of the scriptures, and doubtless much better. The places in St. Paul's writings which recognize Negro slavery are Titus chapter 2 verse 9, Ephesians chapter 6 verses 6 and 8, Colossians chapter 4 verse 1, and chapter 3 verse 22, also Philemon, as well as other passages of the New Testament, all of which, says Dr. Clark, refer to absolute slaves in the property sense of the word. That the slaves of Rome were Africans is proved from the fact that when prisoners were brought from Africa, they were always sold for slaves. At one time only, by one of their generals, namely Regulus, there were brought to Rome 20,000 African Negroes, who were all sold into bondage of slavery. Rollin, Volume 1, page 283. 
if so many were captured at one time by but one man how many may we not suppose were thus taken and sold during all the wars of both greece and rome against africa during several ages myriads no doubt and all this known as well to st paul and all the new testament writers as to the whole world of asia in those ages if it were true as abolitionists imagine it is that the holy ghost inspired isaiah to write against negro slavery as then practiced in his time upon the canaanites the philistines the libyans the egyptians the ethiopians and any of the hamite race how is it that he did not also inspire st paul to write in the same way and in words as plain as isaiah has written according to the perceptions of abolitionists especially when the apostle was engaged in writing on the very subject of negro slavery practiced by members of the christian churches in the various countries of the roman empire and which churches he had planted by his own ministry had the holy ghost become less liberal toward the negro race in st paul's time than in the time of isaiah nay nay st paul isaiah moses noah abraham lot the patriarchs prophets judges elders kings rulers and people of the jews according to the whole tenor of the bible as well as express statements and admissions whenever they touch on that subject namely the subject of negro servitude allowed this practice without rebuke as to the principle admonishing however owners only in matters of treating them well and in a merciful manner can the reader fail to feel the force of this second reason third isaiah's well-meaning as conveyed in the passages to which we are arguing is our third reason for disallowing that he referred to the negro race at all and shall contend that his remarks and reproofs referred to such hebrews as held their own brethren in slavery beyond the stipulations of the law of moses and to such only the law of moses allowed of the sale of hebrew debtors to pay their debts as well as of children owned by poor hebrew parents and also of criminals as thieves etc see leviticus chapter twenty five verses thirty nine forty seven forty eight and fifty and exodus chapter twenty one verses seven and two and chapter twenty two verse three where all these cases are set down but the wicked jews in the time of isaiah as well as at many other times broke over the boundaries of that law by keeping their own brethren thus sold and bought beyond the years of release and the jubilees making of them perpetual slaves both parents and their children as they did the canaanites in case a hebrew was sold to a hebrew the law of moses strictly forbade their being oppressed as bondmen were enjoining it upon those who bought them to treat them as they would a hired man 
see leviticus chapter twenty five verses thirty nine and forty and many other passages to the same effect and besides this they were commanded to furnish them liberally out of the threshing floor and the wine press and their flocks at the times of their release or at the jubilees so as to enable them to begin the world anew see deuteronomy chapter fifteen verse fourteen which immunities were never extended to a canaanite slave but all this in the time of isaiah was deeply and horribly infringed upon wherefore isaiah told them the jews that their fasts and other acts of worship could not be accepted of god while injustice to their own blood and brethren was at all prevalent among them in holding the poor hebrews in perpetual bondage contrary to the law on that very subject made and provided to make it clear that the reproof of isaiah on that occasion and in those passages related wholly solely and exclusively to abused and enslaved hebrews and their masters we have only to observe that the last clause of the seventh verse of the reproof is confined to hebrews in the use of the terms thine own flesh the whole passage reads as follows see isaiah chapter fifty eight verse seven is it not to deal thy bread to the hungry and that thou bring the poor that are cast out to thy house when thou seest the naked that thou cover him and that thou hide not thyself from thine own flesh surely the negroes of canaan or of any other country were not considered by isaiah to be of the same flesh with that of the jews as they are never called in the scriptures the brethren of the hebrews their kindred their own flesh etc but always heathen respecting the flesh of the negro race ezekiel chapter twenty three verse twenty says that it was like the flesh of asses and yet abolitionists say that negro flesh is as good as their flesh is and every way equal we wish them much joy of their relations the canaanites therefore who were among the jews as perpetual bondmen were not the persons alluded to in that reproof of isaiah and those who ought to have been set free by their hebrew masters but if the reader is not yet satisfied that we are right in the above construction and application in those passages of isaiah we will bring a parallel case out of the scriptures by which the position is further supported if need be this parallel case took place long after isaiah's time in the era of nehemiah and his associates when they were rebuilding the walls of jerusalem which had been destroyed by nebuchadnezzar about seventy years before when the jews were carried away into captivity the first time at that time it appears that many of the people of the jews had sold their children to their more wealthy brethren for money to pay the taxes while in captivity and for bread and victuals for their families which occasioned great trouble and complaints 
among the people on their return to Judea. We will give the account as it stands in the book of Nehemiah, chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, as follows. And there was a great cry of the people, and of their wives against their brethren, the Jews. For there were some that said, We, our sons and our daughters, are many. Therefore we take up corn for them, that we may eat and live. Some also there were, that said, We have mortgaged our lands, vineyards, and houses, that we might buy, not hire, corn, because of the dearth. There were also that said, We have borrowed money for the king's tribute, and that upon our lands and vineyards. Yet now our flesh is as the flesh of our brethren, our children as their children. And lo, we bring into bondage our sons and our daughters to be servants or slaves, and some of our daughters are bought into bondage already. Neither is it in our power to redeem them, for other men have our lands and our vineyards. When Nehemiah had ascertained that this dreadful charge was true, it is said in verses 6 and 7 of the above chapter, that he was very angry, and that he set a great company against those who had been guilty of this thing, and caused the offenders against the law of Moses, in that particular, to release not only the children they had bought, but the lands also, according to the law of the greater jubilee, which they had kept through avarice beyond the prescribed limits, committing robbery in relation to the lands, as well as making bondmen of their brother's children, their own flesh and blood. This was a case which was exactly parallel to that which was reproved by Isaiah, applying in this as in that, entirely to the blood of the Jewish tribes who are in Nehemiah, as in Isaiah, called brethren, and the same flesh, one with another, as a people. In pursuit of the same point, namely, to maintain that Isaiah, in the famous 58th chapter of that prophet, did not abrogate Negro or Canaanite slavery, but Hebrew slavery only, we refer the reader to another parallel case, found in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 34, from the 8th to the 17th verse inclusive, which took place between the time of Isaiah and Nehemiah. This prophet, namely Jeremiah, foretold to the Jews that Nebuchadnezzar should come and fight against Jerusalem and the whole country, burn the temple, and carry away the people to old Chaldea, prisoners of war, and thus ruin their nation. And this should be done on account of one particular sin, which, it appears, was the heinous one of enslaving their own poor brethren, a crime which was a great besetment of the rich Jews in all ages of their history. On hearing from the lips of Jeremiah this awful denunciation, King Zedekiah, who then reigned, immediately brought the men who had been guilty of this enormity together, 
and required of them by agreement that they should then release every man his hebrew servant this was done in the hope that god would pardon the nation of this thing and withhold the king of babylon from coming upon them with his mighty hosts as jeremiah had said he would the account reads as follows this is the word that came unto jeremiah from the lord after that the king zedekiah had made a covenant with all the people which were at jerusalem to proclaim liberty unto them that every man should let his manservant and every man his maid being a hebrew or a hebrewess go free that none should serve himself of them to wit of a jew his brother now when the princess and all the people which had entered into the covenant heard that every one should let his manservant and every one his maidservant go free that none should serve themselves of them their brethren any more then they obeyed and let them go but afterward they turned and caused the servants and the handmaids whom they had let go free to return and brought them into subjection for servants and for handmaids again therefore the word of the lord came saying thus saith the lord god of israel i made a covenant with your fathers in the day that i brought them forth out of the land of egypt out of the house of bondage saying at the end of six years let ye go every man his brother a hebrew which hath been sold unto thee and when he hath served thee six years thou shalt let him go free from thee but your fathers hearkened not unto me neither inclined their ear and ye were now turned and had done right in my sight in proclaiming liberty every man to his neighbor and ye made a covenant before me in the house which is called by my name but ye turned back from this and polluted my name and caused every man his servant and every man his maid whom ye had set at liberty at their pleasure to return and brought them into subjection to be unto you for servants and handmaids therefore thus saith the lord ye have not hearkened unto me in proclaiming liberty every one to his brother and every man to his neighbor being a jew behold i proclaim a liberty for you saith the lord to the sword to the pestilence and to famine and i will make you to be removed into all the kingdoms of the earth this horrid fate was to come upon them for the sole reason that they had wickedly and unjustly contrary to the law of moses enslaved their poor brethren the hebrews in all this there is no allusion to negro slaves of the canaanitish character for in the three accounts as given by isaiah jeremiah and nehemiah there is not one allusion of the kind all their remarks being guardedly confined to the sin of enslaving their own race beyond the permission of the law if in this direful charge 
the prophet jeremiah did include negro slaves as a part of the sin of his people in this matter how is it that he is so extremely particular as over and over again to name hebrew bondmen and maids and not so much as once to mention slaves of the other description who were of the heathen of that country it is therefore indubitably certain that the prophet has avoided charging the jews with sin on account of their enslaving the canaanites perpetually but only for enslaving the hebrews beyond the term of six years at a time to fix this in the mind of the reader we select the ninth verse of the thirty-fourth chapter of jeremiah and again present it as evidence sufficient of the fact that negro slaves were not included in the immunities of hebrew servants with regard to their being set free at the time of the jubilees or any other time whatever the passage reads as follows that every man should let his manservant and every man his maidservant being a hebrew or a hebrewess go free that none should serve himself of them to wit of a jew his brother to this agree both isaiah and nehemiah using the same language in effect everywhere pointing out the jew blood which was not to be enslaved leaving the negro race under the disabilities of their doom as found in the book of genesis and the law in all these accounts there is not a word said against the jews enslaving their own brethren if they did it according to the letter of their law and for proper reasons while in the strongest terms of reprobation they do as do all the scriptures condemn and threaten every jew with punishment who should dare to go beyond in that matter if then isaiah nor none of the prophets have abolished even hebrew slavery as it was ordained in their law how much less therefore have they abolished negro slavery which as well as the other was according to that law the hebrew being bounded by six years while the hamite slave was a slave forever the uproar therefore which abolitionists make over this passage of isaiah in favor of canaanitish or negro slaves is but an uproar and sophistry in which they extend the immunities of hebrew servants to the condition of the negro slave which is false and they know it or at least their leaders do as it respects the feelings and opinions of the prophet isaiah on the subject of slavery we have a very singular account to give in this place from this account it is certain that he held it to be right for the jews to enslave any people who were their enemies or who had held them in captivity whether negro or red man to prove this see isaiah chapter fourteen verse two as follows and the people the jews shall take them and bring them to their place judea and the house of israel shall possess them in the land of the lord judea for servants and handmaids 
and they shall take them captives whose captives they were. They shall rule over their oppressors. In this case, the people who had held captive the Jews were the Chaldeans, who, in process of time, sooner or later, were to be ruled over and oppressed by the Jews, even to personal slavery. We do not notice this case as having any bearing on the Negro question, but merely to show that the views of Isaiah were not so abhorrent to the slavery of men who were not Hebrews, as some seem to believe, but shows that he acquiesced in the retributive judgments of God, even to the enslaving of the bodies of men who had oppressed the Jews, his brethren. If, then, Isaiah could thus approve of the enslaving of the red men of Babylon, how much more the negro race of that age, who were denounced in the curse of Noah and the law of Moses. Even the priests of the house of Aaron, the very ministers of the sanctuary, were allowed by the law of God to have slaves bought with their money. See Leviticus chapter 22 verse 11. But if the priest buy any soul with his money, he shall eat of it. That is, the slave thus bought might eat of the food of the family of the priest. From this scripture it is as clear as truth that the prophets, priests, elders, kings, and nobles of the twelve tribes were allowed by the law of God to have property in man, the same as they could have property in any other thing or creature, providing they were not of the race of their brethren, the Hebrews, but of the heathen of the Negro race. As we do not learn from the divine oracles that any other people could be lawfully or morally enslaved, irrespective of war and other contingencies. But there is another scripture besides the one we have just replied to, in Isaiah, upon which abolitionists claim the abolishment of Negro slavery. The scripture is found in Exodus chapter 21, verse 16, and reads as follows. He that steals a man and selleth him, or if he be found in his hand, he shall surely be put to death. Does not this passage of holy writ, says one, put an end to the subject? Does not abolitionism triumph here? Is not this enough? to terrify any man who regards the Bible from stealing away the poor Africans from their homes of happiness and peace, or from purchasing such as are thus stolen from those who steal, purchase, or capture them in their own country? We answer, no, as we do not perceive that this remark of Moses in the law has the least possible bearing on the subject. It was not to the stealing, capturing, or enslaving of the Negroes of Canaan, or any other country, that Moses referred in that passage of prohibitory law, and, as it respects the land of Canaan and the Negro nations of that country, are we to suppose that God, who was about to give the whole land to the Hebrews, with all its inhabitants, to kill and destroy that they were to abstain from taking them by stealth, as well as by open attack? Should we suppose this, 
it would be the same as to suppose the issuing of an order to let the canaanites alone which would defeat the very object of the war which was the entire overthrow of all these nations seven in number great and powerful far beyond the forces of the hebrews but says one if the passage had no allusion to negro stealing to what then did it allude as intended by moses and understood by the tribes we answer it was intended to prevent one hebrew from stealing capturing and selling another hebrew israelite or jew or causing any individual of their nation to go into captivity or bondage of any kind as did the brethren of joseph who stole him and then sold him to the ishmaelites that the passage means this and nothing else is shown and determined by a parallel text in the same law and on the same subject see deuteronomy chapter twenty four verse seven as follows if a man be found stealing any of his brethren of the children of israel and maketh merchandise of him or selleth him then that thief shall die and thou shalt put evil away from among you End of chapter 12a